You're listening to Playback, a Variety iHeartRadio podcast. I'm your host, Variety Awards editor Chris Tapley. This week I'm talking to director Jason Reitman, who has two films out this year. Earlier in the spring it was Tully with Charlize Theron, and out now is the front runner with Hugh Jackman. Jason and I talk about the complexities of his new film, which tells the story of disgraced politician Gary Hart, and a whole lot more. So sit tight. This is Playback. How's the family? I got, I got. They're good, man. I'll show you a picture here in a minute. Yeah. How's father? It's exhausting. Yeah. Because he's two and he's, you know. Yeah, every, it's every bit so of two. good, though. Yeah. I'll show you something crazy. I'll show you what 12 looks like. Already? Wow. Good. I'll show you her first day of school this year. So this was... Four or five years ago, she started the school, and she's like, oh, she's a kid. She looks like a kid. And then this was first day of school this year. And it's oh, my like, gosh. Getting dip. tall. Yeah. And, like, has that look in her eyes, and it's just like <laughs> that look that says, like, I know what's up. Don't fuck with me. On my phone. Some set up there. Yeah, Thanks I'm good. Thank, Thank you. you. Have a good one. I'm going to move this back in front of you. All right. Gosh, I didn't know she was already that old. I know. It's crazy, crazy. right? you vote yet i'm a canadian oh <laughs> that's right i can't <laughs> i'm just on the sidelines watching, watching. go to shit over i here. mean um it's it's crazy though yes it's that's a word for it all right want to start yeah we're okay. up and running all right everybody i'm here today with jason reitman director of the front runner mm-hmm. quite a, a title for a movie in the award season by the way thanks for coming on the show really appreciate it uh it's great to be here we were just talking about kids and life and georgia and politics and we're here on election day Mm -hmm. which is uh your movie's out today right like we're we're in la and new york it's the first uh election day release of all time (laughs) yeah i mean i I don't think anyone really wants to go to the movies today i think (laughs) everyone's going to be uh Hopefully voting, and then later on, everyone's going to be watching the television to see what happens, which, yeah. uh, um, you know, it makes everybody anxious, although I guess you could say the positive is that we are interested in the process, and people are voting, and people yeah. care, and I guess that's a good thing. Yeah. Well, it's interesting for me this year, you, this is kind of your uh, your Schindler's List Jurassic Park year, if you will. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Between Tully uh, and That's Front a bit Runner. much. I mean, <laughs> you mean, you're talking about the year where Spielberg, you know, reinvented <laughs> what science fiction looks like and then made uh, this beautiful black and white Holocaust film, uh, that one best picture? I don't think I'm having that year. Your version of that. Uh, I appreciate <laughs> that. Uh, no, look, it's been an exciting year to have Tully out uh, five months ago and now to have front runner out now uh two films that i'm equally proud of that are um different and personal and both independent and movies i made for the right reasons yeah that's really cool uh, at a time when it's really hard to get movies made mm-hmm. and uh and really hard to make personal movies the idea that i get to make two in a year yeah mm-hmm. that's really exciting what does it feel like just in the promotion of that having these two films to put out there to the world and 
kind of speak to them? I mean, you, usually you're so focused when you're putting out putting out a movie. It's like that was your year. Obviously, you might be working on a movie otherwise, but to have them both out and kind of I mean, chewing on them like that. You look, know? I mean, the promotion process is emotionally complicated as a director because it is you know it's dropping your kids off at school you know at college you know it's the it's the moment you say goodbye and the more you talk about a movie the less it becomes yours so uh it's always an emotionally challenging experience to promote a film because even though it's exciting for it to be out there in the world um the more you talk about it and the more you tell stories about it and the more you try to promote it the the less it strangely becomes your movie yeah Let's go back before we get into Front Runner and talk about Tully. Uh, I saw it at Sundance, the mm-hmm. big Blizzard screening mm-hmm. the premiere. Uh, that was a Diablo Cody script. I'm curious uh, what made you want to direct it. I mean, I think my role on Earth is to direct her screenplay. <laughs> so I said, I would say primarily that. You yeah. know, we're on this trajectory of making a movie every five years and. I hope that continues to the day I die. Uh, she's one of the best writers alive, and she writes from a very unique point of view. Her voice is singular, uh, and she always surprises me with everything that she writes. And here she wrote, you know, you know, with each of the movies, it's like we're growing up together. Uh, you can see that through Juno and Young Adult, and now finally this one. And this one, you know, was a conversation about. Uh, Getting a little bit older and, you know, if you could have a conversation with your younger self, you know, and say actually goodbye to your younger self, what would you say? Mm-hmm. I think that was kind of at the heart of it. Were you uh, aware of, of of her working on it before? Like, did you see it for the first time in script form or was that something you... You know, what seems to happen is she lets me know, hey, I'm thinking of working on this idea and gives me the gist of it. And then infuriatingly, in a couple months, she has a screenplay and it's <laughs> worth directing. You know, it's it's ready to shoot. And yeah. I, you know, I think we've just talked about this before. I'm a slow writer. Mm-hmm. You know, I wrote Up in the Air over the course of seven years. Uh, I think you're spoken over the course of five years. The idea that she can kind of just turn around a script a matter of months is mind boggling that she does it without a treatment that she just kind of wanders into the desert and comes out the other side of the script. I think look, look, you and I are both screenwriters. Like, it's just like, how, how does someone do that? And mm-hmm. she's just innately gifted. I mean, it's like, you know, asking a baseball player how they hit the ball. I think <laughs> at a certain point they were just born to do it. And she is just a kind of the truest form of a writer that I've encountered. Mm-hmm. And you saw something of yourself in, in the material immediately? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting. Like, I, I find that those films end up being strangely autobiograph- autobiographical for Diablo and I for probably different reasons. But, you know, Juno was about um, innocence and the moment that you do grow up or decide not to grow up. And Young Adult was obviously the fear of growing up. And this was five years further down the line in that trajectory when, you know, uh, you have to actually admit that you've grown up and say goodbye to your younger self. Yeah. Uh, what were you looking for, by the way, after uh, Men, Women, and Children was your feature previous to that, and you did 
casual. You worked in TV with Hulu for a bit, but I'm curious what you were looking for in that span of time. I don't know. I mean, and, and I get why you're asking. Uh, I mean, it's kind of a weird thing to come off of a kind of a resounding failure and like think about like where you want to go next. Also, you took some time, though, is what I mean. I mean, you worked on casual, but you know there was time between. I guess so. Features, I mean, it didn't know? feel like that. That's the yeah. crazy thing. Is so you know, Men, Women, and Children comes out I think in 2014. We write the front runner in 2015. Yeah. Uh, we are making four seasons of casual over the last, you know, three and a half years and then made, you know, finished the front runner screenplay, went immediately into directing Tully and then went immediately directing front runner so close. In fact, that there was a time when both Tully and the front runner were simultaneously in the avid. And there's actually a shot from Tully in the front runner because we were missing a shot and I realized I could use this shot from the other movie. Really? Yeah. So <laughs> it, uh, it, it's, it feels as though it's been packed. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's four seasons of TV and two movies. Yeah, for sure. So. Well, you say resounding failure. I mean, is that just regarding box office, or did you feel like creatively you, you did what you wanted <laughs> no, to do no. with that movie? No, I mean, actually, I'm actually really proud of that movie. Yeah. I'm proud of proud of what we wrote, proud of what we shot. Um, Love the music in it, and obviously the cast in it is exceptional. And you know, actors like Ansel Elgort and Timothy Chalamet, uh, are, you know, obviously, yeah. you know, uh, being uh, recognized now. Which we should almost re-release the film now, considering how big <laughs> yeah. all the stars in it are. But uh, no, I'm actually really happy with that film. And um, but look, you can't control how a movie is received, both at the time and in general. Uh, and, uh, you know, you know, what's funny is I think there's kind of a presumption of how directors work and behave. And there's this kind of presumption that directors come in with the, all the answers that they think that they, uh, that they have the answers for everybody else. And that's why they make a movie. And I think the opposite is actually true. I think directors make movies because we have questions. Uh, we're just as lost as everyone else. We're trying to figure things out. And everyone figures things out in different ways. And making a movie is a way of chewing on the questions that are gnawing away at you. I think that's why artists in general create is because there's something that bothers us. There's an itch you need to scratch. And so, you know, with a movie like Men, Women, and Children that uh, where the response presumed as though I felt I had answers, it's not the truth. I just mm-hmm. uh, It's just another person living the day trying to figure out uh, this world is moving really fast and, you know, how my connections with everyone else are, have evolved and changed and, you know, as a result of technology. Yeah. So what was the question then that spurred the front runner on? <laughs> well, the front For runner, you know, yeah, no, I think, uh, <laughs> front runner is filled with questions. I mean, I came into, uh, look, I'm like everyone else alive right now. You know, I, uh, I, I wake up. First thing I do is I check my phone and I look at the news app and I just go, fuck, you know, <laughs> and uh, I'm trying to figure everything out as much as everybody else. And when I heard the Gary Hart story, which I really didn't know from when I was a kid, you know, I was 10 years old when this happened. I was, you know, I heard the names, but I didn't really know the story. And when I heard, you know, Radio Labs episode on Gary Hart, which covered Matt Bai's book. It's kind of a revelation to me. I just couldn't believe that there was this moment in our recent history where the presumed next president of the United States was in an alleyway behind his house in the middle of the night with these other journalists and nobody knew what to do because no one had ever been in their shoes before. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time that we were talking about a tabloid story when it came to a potential president. And 
it was the reason he left the race. Well, that's kind of interesting. I mean, in, in it, I thought, uh, A, there was all this connective tissue to everything we're talking about today, you know, as far as gender politics and the line between, you know, what is a public life versus a private life and what is the relationship between journalists and candidates, uh, which obviously has only become more fraught in the, in the two years, you know, since we wrote the script. Um, and at the core of it was this thriller, this mm-hmm. thriller of a movie where a guy went from being the next president of the United States and less than a week later, he leaves politics forever. Yeah. And he's a guy who in the mid 80s was, was saying things like we're addicted to oil and that addiction is going to take us into the Middle East where we're going to encounter Islamic terrorism and not know how to fight it. He's a guy who in the early 80s met Steve Jobs um, and came back to the Senate and said uh, – the difference in the future in the economy will be whether or not you know how to use a computer. We need a computer in every classroom. He was prescient about everything and yet could not see this thing that was happening right in front of him, uh, that uh, the landscape was shifting, that we wanted to know about his personal life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was unwilling to share that. And what is it about that moment that puts us on a trajectory of today? Well, let me ask you this. Does that naivete, does he get away with that in your movie a little bit? What do you mean? I just kind of feel like, this is me, but I I, I kept waiting on you to take a little more of a stand than you did. And I know it was willful not to. Mm -hmm. It's a very very kind of, especially taking a dive into the press situation, how the press, how you handle the press in it. Uh, Some critics have even taken it to feel like a side eye toward the press or something. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I, I guess... My question is, when you, when you had all those questions going into it, did you come up with any answers, or is the fact that you kind of left things a little hands-off? I do with all my movies. That is how that is who I am as a filmmaker. And if that frustrates you, then I get it. Uh, Only this time, and I think at this period in history, is, is, is the thing. You know, like It, fair it felt enough. like a little both sides at a time. I didn't want to hear that. But that's when we need to be most challenging. Yeah. Look, uh, up in the air. You know, Where is George Clooney going at the end of Up in the Air? Mm-hmm. Is he going to go find true love, or is he actually given up on the whole concept? Um, I think it'd be bullshit if I, you know, said, "Oh, it's one or the other." Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I hate movies that do that. Mm-hmm. And 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 look, you know, where where is Charlize going at the end of Young Adult? You know, is she has she finally learned her lesson? Is she going to you know, mature and look for a deep and meaningful relationship, or is she realized that she is going to lean into this character that she's created for herself mm-hmm. for the rest of her life? Mm-hmm. Um, these are the things that that I think about every day. That I think a lot of people think about every mm-hmm. day. You know, am I becoming a better person or a worse person on a daily basis? Am I enriching my life? Uh, am I becoming a closer friend, or am I finding ways to put walls around me? Um, and politically, where the hell are we going? I mean, this is what's on our minds, and no one has the answer on that. Mm-hmm. And both sides think the other is absolutely crazy. Mm-hmm. And our <laughs> candidates have become uh, – uh, no one is in the center anymore. We are leaning to the to the edges of each party. And, uh, and, and there is a fraught relationship between journalists and candidates. They mm-hmm. don't talk to each other. They don't spend time with each other. And when I read Matt's book on the subject, on Hart, I saw a moment as recent as the early to mid-'80s when politicians and candidates spent social time with journalists and they knew who each other were as people. Mm-hmm. I think there's something really important to that. And a wall went up at this moment. Yeah. And, and, and it's interesting because, you know, I, I hear what you're saying as far as a side eye to the press, which I really, 
100% do not have. Right, of course. That's why I asked. I, I, I mean, look, I mean, you and I are friends. I'm friends with plenty of journalists. I wrote this with a journalist. One of the mm-hmm. writers of the screenplay, uh, you know, covered five presidencies uh, for New York Times Magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we all have a responsibility. Now, look, I, okay, I just mentioned earlier, you wake up, you open your phone, you check the news app. This is what I notice a lot of happening these days. There's a piece on the midterms or the Kavanaugh hearings, and then right next to it, from the same source, Post, Times, equal weight is something on Ariana Grande and Pete Davidson Mm -hmm. breaking up. Which one is politics? Which one's entertaining? Why are they given the same weight? Why am I getting them both from uh, uh, the Washington Post? Mm -hmm. Uh, I think uh, there is a confusion, and and it comes from us. It comes from the readers. It comes to the people clicking. It's an appetite, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if anything, I'm I'm turning the mirror back on the audience and going, okay, so what do you really want to know? What are you interested in? I, I I know you're frustrated. I'm frustrated. We're all frustrated right now. But how did we actually get here? And if you look at 87, what's interesting about that moment is it is the moment that a current affair goes on television. I was just going to say the, the the 24-hour news cycle is really, really starting to pick up around That's that exactly era right. in television news and you all that. You have the birth of the satellite yeah. truck, which makes the 24-hour news cycle possible. You have CNN giving satellite phones to their journals so they can cover the presidency anywhere, anytime. Uh, political punditry is coming to its own. You have mm-hmm. kind of like, it's like six years after the birth of Crossfire, and that is now starting to heap up, heat up and come into its own. And you can start to see it start to get planted in other places. You have the Tammy Faye Baker story. You have uh, Oliver North and Fawn Hall. And, 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 and even with this story, it's like you go from a magazine cover with a big photo of Gary Hart with a little photo of Donna Rice, and within a month or two, it's a big photo of Donna Rice and a little photo of Gary Hart. Mm-hmm. So I'm interested in what, what we want to consume, how we want to consume it, and, and, and this bigger idea of, okay, what's actually relevant? What is important versus what is entertaining? And that becomes the fundamental filmmaking style that we go with. Mm-hmm. So from the first thing sh- opening shot, two and a half minutes, sprawling shot, tons of characters going through. Starting in the satellite truck. Starting in yep. a satellite truck. Yep. So what we're trying to tell the audience right from the beginning is you're going to hear things overlapping, three conversations, four conversations. You're not going to be able to listen to everything. You're not going to look at everything. You're going to meet characters. You're not going to know first. Are these, is this an important person? Is this the last time I'm going to see them? And right from the beginning of the film, you have to make decisions. Mm-hmm. All right, what do you want to listen to, given the choice? And that goes all the way to the closing shot of the film where there's two things happening on screen. And on one side, there's a television where Gary Hart's making his last speech as a politician. It's the best speech he ever made. It's the most important speech he ever made. It's kind of strange. That, uh, I'm not sure of another politician where the, the, the most important speech they ever made was literally – the, the end of their speech, career. Yeah, and leaving the politics forever. Of the career, yeah. And young, you know. Yeah. And then on the other side of frame are Gary and Lee, a husband and wife, a marriage, a complicated marriage, going through real trouble. And I'm asking the audience, what do you really want to look at? Mm-hmm. And that's what I want to leave with them with. So this is a long-winded way of saying, I want people to think about that and have that conversation. Look, like, do I have feelings about the current presidency? Of course I do. <laughs> um... And in casual conversation with my friends, yes, I would I would make them clear, but I don't see the point of my movies to 
as uh, to take people down or to use my megaphone to shout my opinion. I see the movie as a mirror. I see it yeah. as an opportunity for people to see themselves in it. And at the end of the day, I'm much more interested in human beings than I am in politics. Yeah. You started to get ahead of me there. I was going to ask about the aesthetic because uh, <laughs> I love the aesthetic. I, 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 first thing I thought of was Altman, you know, yeah. just, just this, the overlapping dialogue, uh, you know, something going on way over here that we're eventually going to end up on, but we're not there yet. And yeah, yeah, yeah. This, you know, the slow, it's just, there's a it's kind of a 70s aesthetic, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so you started to explain it there, but talk a little bit more about that and working with your DP on it. And, yeah, totally. And, I mean, uh, so. The first thing that I did, Eric the co-writers, yeah, yeah Eric Stilberg. Okay, okay. um, first thing I did with my co-writers, uh, uh, Matt By and Jay Carson. I should point out, you know, I mentioned that Matt By, you know, wrote for New York Times Magazine. Jay Carson was the press secretary for Hillary Clinton, Howard Dean, Tom Daschle. So this is a movie that was written on the shoulders of their kind of mutual experience from both sides of the line. One being a journalist, the other one being a political operative, um, and we watched The Candidate together, the Michael Ritchie film, mm-hmm. and that was the first moment where we just we were all watching together and it was like okay this is the north star this is what we're aiming for this kind of loose messy style in which you feel like you were just dropped into the room there is you know there isn't a director telling you this is important keep an eye on this you have to pay attention to this character or this is the point rather you're in a room fend for yourself and of course robert altman was the genius who kind of created this style in which you kind of mosey through the room as the camera and find things as you do. And okay, it takes, it, it's this odd mix of letting, creating a scene where the actors can be wild and messy while the camera is actually, you know, very carefully choreographed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Eric Stilberg, who I've worked, I've known since I was a teenager and has done almost everything I've ever done. Um, and I worked very specifically on that. I think the real key to that style though is oddly sound yeah. and it's steve morrow our production mixer who have also worked with you know since thank you for smoking and who's brilliant and just did stars born in la la land and he has an enormous career uh it was working with him and how your ears can point your eyes is it's just it's the thing that you mentioned a, a moment ago you're moving through the crowd you're watching uh you know a journalist do a stand-up to camera and you're already hearing another conversation off camera and you're already kind of starting to look that way even though there's no one to look at Mm -hmm. and i feel like that's what happens in life is your ears start kind of taking you to different places Mm -hmm. and 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 the whole movie is about conversation what you want to listen to so yeah he would steve morrow made the decision early on to mic every actor on all takes no matter what you're looking at and we made the decision to have almost every actor on set every day so we would have 12, 15, literally sometimes 20 actors all mic'd. And Moro would be playing the mixer like a piano. And because they're all talking simultaneously, and he is governing what you listen to. Normally, when you make a movie, you sh- I shoot a close up of you, we record your sound. You shoot a close up of me, record my sound. You get a little of the off camera, but for the most part, you are favoring what you're looking at. And the presumption is that you get to the mix in the end. And at the mix, you find the balance of everything. Mm-hmm. When you watch this movie, you are actually hearing Steve Morrow's work that he did on the day, balancing all these conversations to create that sense of being in a crowd and lost amongst the conversations and picking out the little pieces. Uh, and and the script was not only dual dialogue a lot of oh, the time, <laughs> but 
additional scenes that we would write that we would give to actors and be like, there was no room for this in the script. Here's your dialogue. Or here's a magazine from 1987. Just read this article and share what you learned with the other character. And everyone was all over each other. <laughs> That's awesome, though, that he was like, you know, mad scientist back there mixing everything. He, like, is. I mean, concert, like, he, just... he worked on one of the Bourne movies and he just started covering the cars and like microphones. I mean, he's a guy who loves what he does. He's an artist. And... No matter what, if, if he's doing uh, Stars Born, he is finding ways to record all that music uh, live so they can do it and they can actually do a live mix of the live music. I mean, he's, he's always trying to find a new way at yeah. his job. Where did you shoot it, by the way? We shot it in Georgia. We shot it in Atlanta. It, uh, it's kind of remarkable because up in the air, we shot in five cities, and of course, I wanted to do that again. Uh, but it is hard to make these movies in, uh, these days, and the money, yeah. the money is tight, and I should use that as an opportunity to uh, shout out to Braun Braun Studios who paid for Tully and paid for this movie it's a Canadian company and are still making independent films like this that otherwise would never get made yeah and then how about Hugh Jackman? I mean, did, was this was he in your head while you were working on the script? Is this was he kind of like first choice? Not that you would tell me that you were had your heart set on somebody no, no, else. No, no. He, he was in my mind uh, from very early on. Yeah. He look outside of the kind of cosmetic similarity is uh, he's a movie star that I've wanted to work with for a long time uh, because he's as hardworking as anybody. He's probably hard, more hardworking than any actor I've ever worked with. Mm-hmm. His overwhelming decency kind of echoes through not only the filmmaking process but through the character of Gary Hart. And look, I'm making a movie about making a movie about a guy. If I told you I was hey, I'm going to make a movie about your life. Let me pick the worst week. <laughs> right? Yeah. And I know I want Gary Hart's inner decency to shine through, despite the fact that look, there's going to be 3 weeks where he's going to be tough. Uh and I knew that would happen with you. Mm-hmm. And I knew you would work harder. I mean, the, the amount of research he did on this movie was insane. Production design department was learning things from Hugh. Costume department was learning things from Hugh. Uh, in editorial, there's you know, as you saw, there's like real footage that we cut into the movie. Some of that footage is from Hugh's research. I mean, it's just hmm. insane. Wow, he should get a co-directing credit, maybe. Well, now hold on, <laughs> hold on. Uh, what about just, you know, this is your biggest ensemble you've worked with, I, I guess, yeah. right? Oh, yeah. I mean, put, put, putting that together, uh, was that like, is there like a control room somewhere where you've got the big board <laughs> up and photos of people and trying no, to figure out? No, I mean, out- honestly, what was cool was like with with this many main characters, I get to work with actors I've wanted to work with my entire life. I got to work with Alfred Molina, mm. you know? Uh, character actors like Kevin Pollack, a comedian like Bill Burr, uh, all these young actors who are on TV right now. I like, love the choice of Bill Burr, by the way. That was so awesome. Thank you very just much. to see him pop up in a movie like that. Yeah, and, and really have something to do. Mm-hmm. And not just, you know, uh, be himself, but actually kind of do some acting and be great in it. Yeah. Uh, he's kind of one of the great performances He was great the with the, being a confrontational journalist, you know, kind of mm-hmm. high and mighty in a way about certain things. Well, and nervous. Yeah. I mean, that's the on thing. Top of it, is yeah. I can't imagine how scary it is. I mean, I can't imagine how scary it is to be a journalist right now. I can't imagine what it would have been like to be in the alleyway that night and yeah. really wondering about the ethics and the repercussions of what you're doing. Uh, I understand why they were there. I understand why the journalist uh, went to his house. Uh, I mean, something I didn't know until I made this movie was that the primary system is an invention of the 1970s. I had always presumed the primary system 
had been around for a hundred years. I mean, I'm not a student of history. I'm more of a student of movies. So what I learned was that with the invention of the primary system in the seventies, all of a sudden, instead of party bosses picking candidates in the back rooms of conventions, that job was given to us, the constituents. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden you'd have 12 choices for president and one's a mayor from one city and one's a congressman from some state and another's a governor from another state. It's like, how the hell do we know who these people are? Yeah. And the responsibility fell on uh, on the shoulders of journalists to tell us, hey, this is who these guys are. And, of course, once you ask that question, the next question is, well, what do you want to know? And and we're still trying to figure that out. Mm-hmm. We're still trying to figure out what flaws we're willing to put up with in our leaders. So the idea that these guys wound up in an alleyway, um, in Gary Hart's alleyway, like I get where they were coming from. I just also think there were repercussions. Yeah. And I saw the movie at Telluride. Uh, you op- that's where it premiered, I believe, world mm-hmm. premiere. Uh, when you opened that night, you said something along the lines of, "Just I wanted to make something that maybe." could tell us how we got where we are and you left it at that kind mm-hmm. of vague this all speaks to that you know uh but would you say the kernels of of where we are really are in something like this or you know is there is there something kind of like classic almost classical about this journey this downfall of this character that's something that goes back even further maybe well I think that this moment in 87 is defined by, like, some of the things I mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm. I think uh, the invention of the 24-hour news cycle. Mm-hmm. I think a generation of journalists who grew up on Woodward and Bernstein and s- kind of shifted their impression of what their job and their responsibility was. Um, uh, I think there's a lot of things. Uh, and look, I think this general tabloid journalism driving into the lane of political journalism. I, I think these things were happening. Yeah. Uh, and Gary Hart stepped into this moment. Mm-hmm. And in that moment, you get a guy who simultaneously had big ideas, was prescient beyond all imagination. I mean, this is, look, Gary Hart in 99 went to George Bush and said, we're going to be attacked by planes. I mean, this is a guy who's been able to see the future, you know, from the beginning. Uh, but is also a flawed human being but is also someone who was unwilling to lie about who he was. Like, this is the, the big question that comes up is this word character, right? You know, they say, oh, well, what does this say about his character? Mm-hmm. And the question back is, well, one of the things it says is that he was unwilling to lie and pretend he was someone else and do an, a year of penance then come back and do some you know get some punditry job or you know some gig on cable news and then uh uh you know earn our forgiveness and then uh pretend just because he wanted the job yeah he genuinely thought this was irrelevant i don't know what the answer to that is maybe it's relevant maybe it's not Maybe sometimes it's relevant. And Matt Bai says this really well. No, it's Jay Carson who says this well. He goes, prior to 87, it was never relevant. And after 87, it was always relevant. And neither is true. The truth <laughs> is somewhere in between. Mm-hmm. Um, but he was unwilling to have that conversation. Mm-hmm. And he did the courtesy of walking away. Like, look, uh, he lives in Denver uh, uh, in the same place that he lived in 1987. They've been married for 60 years. He's written over a dozen books. He's been kind of living his own life. He hasn't been, you know, asking us to kind of bend to his will. 
Uh, what do you think of the movie? Uh, it was an interesting experience. You know, I brought the I brought the movie to show him uh, in Denver, and I, as you can imagine, that's the scariest screening of my life. I mean, this is the first <laughs> time I've ever made a movie about real events, yeah. real people, real people who are alive are going to see it. I mean, that's not only him, but Donna Rice. Donna Rice was the first person we showed the film to, uh, yeah. and uh, I think there's a a general empathy that all the characters involved feel. Uh, look, this is a story that. Most people think of the Gary Hart story and they just kind of sum it up as a joke, right? Mm-hmm. They think of it as the name of a boat, a photograph, uh, and uh, it's kind of become like a – it's almost like a meme, right? Mm-hmm. We don't think of it as real events, real events that had consequence, uh, but the participants of which have been treated as a joke for the rest of their lives. Donna Rice, I mean, you know, it was a young, bright, ambitious woman whose life was just ripped out of her hands. And who, you know, you know, what really happened? Two people met on a boat and had chemistry. Yeah. Like, that's what happened. Now, um, what we tried to do was make a movie that treated everyone involved as a human being. Uh, And what not only Gary Hart, but Donna Rice and Tom Fiedler from the Miami Herald, who I showed the film too, uh, have all felt as though we... The film treats them with decency and with humanity. Uh, and and frankly, from there, it becomes the audience's choice how they feel, mm-hmm. uh, what who they consider the hero of the film, who they want to kind of latch their hook to. Yeah. Well, on that note, the movie's out now. It'll be unfolding steadily. I guess this is a platform release, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It'll yeah, be so wide by Thanksgiving. It'll be wide by Thanksgiving, so you should check it out. The movie's called The Front Runner, and also check out Tully, which is out on Blu-ray, DVD, and all that stuff now. Uh, Appreciate that, that. That is his uh, Jurassic Park, and uh, The Front Runner would be his Schindler's List. Oh my god, so. you gotta stop with that. That's just absolute nonsense. It's so disrespectful to Spielberg. Um, Appreciate it. But uh, yeah, great work on the movie, man. Very complex stuff, and I'm glad we could chew on it here a little bit. Everyone check it out. Uh, be curious to hear what people have to say about Look, it. Look, so. uh, this is a movie that you were going to walk out of having a conversation with the person you just saw it with. Yeah. Um, and uh, uh, and we need opportunities for conversation right now. Yeah. This is, you go on Twitter and it's like you get your head ripped off because the volume is at a 12. And this story kind of acts as a prism so that you can have that conversation. It's an entertaining ride. Don't get me wrong. I mean, this story is a bit of a thriller. But walking out of it, um, you're inevitably going to get into a conversation. Yeah. Glad we could get you in here finally. Jason Reitman, thanks for doing the show, man. Indeed. Appreciate it.